This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you today? All going very well into the umpteenth day of COVID pandemic responses. We're up to show 76. <laughs> We've done we have the seventy. Done very well. I, we have done the seventy-six times. I did not think. Well, I just didn't know that we would keep going as long as we have. But I'm so glad that we have because we've talked to some amazing people. And I think that even though we are mostly back at, at something resembling normal, the rest of the world isn't. So there's still lots to talk about. Yeah, there um, is. And um, and I'm and increasingly thankful that I live in New Zealand not that I ever haven't been but I'm really really thankful right now and we are joined today from Dunedin by Sophie Barker welcome Sophie kia ora how are you I'm doing very well more importantly how are you oh I don't know COVID craziness I think is what my world is about um working in my job I'm the marketing manager for the Otago Peninsula Trust plus the city councillor um Things are just a little bit crazy, a little bit overwhelming. So so how was bubble lockdown for you? Busy. I think I worked the hardest that I'd ever worked because it was, I think, especially working in the tourism industry, we went into the shock of loss, I think, because we had lost a lot of stuff that we knew. 80% of our visitors were from overseas. We'd suddenly lost all of our business. We didn't know how long it was going to um, last. We were scared because, of course, we'd had visitors from the Ruby Princess and and other cruise ships and international visitors coming into our premises, so we didn't know if this this thing had spread. So it was pretty um, pretty challenging at the beginning, and then we had to to pivot, which is that word that everyone uses, and I kind of hate that it's so appropriate, <laughs> um, and to pivot and to think about how we were going to come out of COVID and, and refocus the business and what it was going to look like. So it was a very challenging time. We had a, a passenger off the Ruby Princess in our kitchen. It was quite scary for a bit. Yeah, yeah, because you just don't know, you know, um, and our team were quite quite worried as well. And we hear the testing's pretty yucky, so there's all sorts of things to worry about. It was a relief when everybody was was um, was clear, and that was one thing kind of out of the road. And then we had to to concentrate on the future. So we spent a, a lot of time on um, on Zoom and on emails, and uh, also with my other hat on as a city councillor, there was a, a lot of stuff going on there as well, which was. Um, sort of daily bulletins as to, to what was happening and then lots more Zoom meetings as well. We um, got very good at straight face because, of course, they were all publicly broadcast for the first time. <laughs> that was quite confronting. <laughs> and there was an interesting moment with one of your colleagues. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, there were a few interesting moments. Mine didn't get caught so much. Um, uh, yes, the colleague was busy uh, dusting and, and uh, he obviously got top half right, which we all did, and we were all possibly wearing slippers. <laughs> you know? But yes, he did get caught dusting and ended up on national TV. Yeah. I, you know, I admire the dusting, but, you know, get that virtual background sorted before you're going to go mad in the background. So what does the Peninsula Trust do and what do you do there? So I'm the marketing manager for the Tiger Peninsula Trust. So it's been going since 1967. In fact, it's nearly the 53rd anniversary of the Trust, and it was set up to preserve and enhance the Targo Peninsula. So there was a group of businessmen at the time who saw that Dunedin was in the doldrums and thought, oh, how are we going to make things better and create some more liveliness and, and work, etc., around the, the city. And they did a, an investigation into what were Dunedin's key strengths, and I laughed because they're still the same. <laughs> oh, <pardon>. um, <laughs> heritage, education... Um, and wildlife and they were looking actually at building a oh a heritage theme park and then the chair of the trust took um the rest of the trustees out onto the otago peninsula where of course you see the albatross the yellow-eyed penguins the armstrong disappearing gun down at castle and it was like why would you need a theme park when you've got the real stuff right on your doorstep so that's when the genesis of the uh the trust was born and it started off with um saving glenfellick garden from subdivision so bought that as the first property and then spent five years trying to get a permit or some form of tour operation for the Royal Albatross Centre. Um, and suddenly, and then in 1972, that opened. And so people could finally go and see the mighty Albatross and their chicks on tour. Uh, then, what is it, 1987, after the, they'd spent 15 years restoring Fort Tairoa. So they opened that to the public. And then more recently, Blue Penguins Pukakura which is a joint venture with the Karaka Karatai family. So it's a whanau-based business. And supply, we help with the management of that and have people come and see the little blue penguins, which has been an amazing success story because when we first started, there were maybe 30 breeding pairs and now there's over 200 and they've already laid, I think, 17 eggs this season, which was the last count, which is really exciting because they are double breeders. And we also... And the money that comes the tourism operations goes into looking after them. And so they have their own scientists and um, their own little houses. So we've got Penguin Build, which is much more efficient than Kiwi Build because we'll have penguins at house. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great place. And then the Trust is education programs um, hosting, gosh, 160,000 visitors through the doors of the Royal Arbitral Centre. So it is a really big um, and important long part of the uh, peninsula. That's in summary. And I'm the marketing person. <laughs> and you do a fantastic job of getting it onto the world's media. Oh, thank you. I have been interviewed twice by the BBC. Um, once was about my, my favourite pet subject, which is Red Bill Girls and how nobody appreciates them as they should <laughs> because they are more endangered than the albatross. I shouldn't rant on about them, but, you know, they're quite special. <laughs> so did work carry on during lockdown? for for that oh, absolutely yeah yeah i think that i worked harder than before because we had to first of all we had to change all of our online media and we have gosh um i think it's twenty eight thousand followers across that's that's four five threes is 15 at least 15 social media cha channels for all of our different operations plus the googles plus the website so first of all i had to update them all and then we had to keep sending up messages and then we just surveyed our clients to see what sort of business we would have afterwards like especially as we knew it would be focused on New Zealanders so it's like oh what's the what price were they willing to pay for a tour um 
how long would they like to spend on a tour? Um, and we set up a Give a Little page. So we've had over $5,000 worth of donations on the Give a Little page, which is amazing. And then we had contact from people all over the world. Um, the marketing person from New York, it was great. Um, people from Australia, I cried when we got our first donation from France. You know, it just felt like we were so alone because we're really struggling going, how, how are we going to keep this business going with no money coming in? So it was a, a really beautiful thing to finally, or not finally, to feel the love of all of the fans and, and their generosity both, um, you know, in giving to our give a little and also with helping us with ideas about how we could have business going forward. You have just saved me from having to play Fleetwood Mac's Albatross and instead we're going to have <laughs> Neil Diamond's Skybird off of Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Know that all the songs about albatross is it albatrosses albatry albatrosses <laughs> you should be the expert <laughs> on that I, I know i should be but it, i just change my every day sometimes it's albatross actually pretty much most of the time it's albatross there we go this anyway decision. there are all the songs about albatrosses are majestic and somewhat mournful and all of the songs about penguins are funny that is kind of due to their behaviour, I think, because when I started work there, I totally fell in love with albatross. I'm like, they're so majestic and royal and they never have a bad angle. And then you look at those penguins, you're like, what a rebel, you know? 
they're just fucking groups and all noisy and so that is is exactly why the songs are like they are because they are reflective of the character i mean albatross might get a little bit rebelly when they're going through the the mating and the teenage years but generally they comport themselves quite royally and at least one of them is on a webcam oh my gosh yes um i've got pepper her nickname at the moment uh the webcam's been going since 2016 and it's had over five million views from over 200 countries around the world it is a phenomenon and it's so much better than the kardashians i mean it's like a real life drama there's always things happening to the chick and we've got so many addicted fans and it's been it's really good for spreading the conservation message because i kind of say that albatross are um a gateway drug into conservation because you you see them you fall in love with them you start caring about the environment they live in so we have people who write things about drift fishing um right to ministers fundraise clean beaches all that kind of stuff which is really important to get people into conservation and once they're into albatross then they kind of look at the the wider world that they live in and want to protect them um it's a great educational tool a great conservation tool and also a great mental health tool and i i do think that during the lockdown it really helped people concentrate on something beautiful that was happening out in the world that they could tune in at any time of the day or night and just have that those moments of respite um, and the setting's really beautiful as well because you get to look down Otago Harbour and just watch this chick in the wind. <laughs> it's really quite beautiful. Do you connect to the community? There is quite active communities along the peninsula and I'm thinking of the the connection to the to conservation. There's, there's a strong, I've forgotten what it's called, pest-free peninsula or something? Uh, the Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group, yeah. Uh, um, man, the ecotourism manager at the Trust Hwani Langsbury is very much involved with that. So he's on the Yellowway Penguin Trust, the um, Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group. So very involved in those groups and also providing, the trust provides umbrellas for the fledgling groups as well. Because, you know, when you're first starting a trust, it's really hard to get the money if you don't have a bank account and address and all that kind of stuff. So we um, we are like like an albatross parent as well, nurturing our, our chicks to go out into the world and, and do God. When I was visiting... When we took somebody out to the um, to the colony and to and to the penguins, and Hawani was giving a his his talk, and he was talking very much about the how the decisions are made. It's very much made about the what do we need to do to protect and conserve and enhance these um, these animals, is the system, and then what do we need to do in terms of tourism to to pay for that? It's yeah, interesting it's to see it that way round. Oh, it's absolutely birds first, um, you know, a prime um, moral obligation, I guess you call it a conservation obligation, is to the birds and what's best for them. And then the, tur- <laughs> the tourists enable us to do that work, but also we, they're not interfering with the um, the birds. When Before the albatross were fenced in, I guess, and properly looked after, people would throw stones at them and shoot them and steal their eggs and eat their eggs and... We've got photographs, you know, where cars are being driven up and people are gathering around the albatross back in the old days. And people have fond memories of being on the penguin beach with penguins running in between their feet. But, you know, that's really not appropriate. And that's why we've tried to to, to manage the, the tourists um, going near the wildlife. A lot of people don't understand, but um, that is the way that it does need to be done. And it's been fantastic to have all of those visitors and get them committed to conservation and also contributing because they do want to help and this is a way they can help. So what's happening now? Is it a, a hunker down in terms of tourists or are you thinking that that there are enough people from New Zealand are going to turn up? 
Hmm. <laughs> We're struggling through the school holidays. We're running events um, fun even at the moment, which is kind of an umbrella for all of our events. We've got Albatross Express tours, the Glenfellick Nine Month. I don't know this conservation based, but it's fun. Um, and then free children with um, with the penguins. So we're trying to get as many people through as we can. We know that this is a, a short window where New Zealanders will be travelling in bulk, hopefully, um, and we can hopefully make some money to carry us through. It's I, I sort of look upon the next period of time after um, the holidays as a bit of a desert. It's always hard through winter because we're very seasonal, but now it's going to be a whole lot harder. We're really hoping we've got a, um, a step application in, Strategic Tourism Asset Protection Program, um, and we're hoping that we're successful with that because that will that will help save and keep the Albatross Centre open for visitors. You know, there's it's a, it's a big, big centre. There's a lot of overheads, and the money that we earn goes to help support the Albatross care as well. So absolutely committed to trying to get visitors through, but um, extremely challenging. There's, there's 30 regional tourism organisations all fighting for the domestic pie, um, so it's very challenging. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling, very exciting, very illuminating for you, for who you truly are, the triumph of nature's art the product of literally billions of years of co-evolution on this paradise planet and here with unique gifts to share. And thank you very much for allowing me to speak with you. It has been such a pleasure and a privilege for me over this time through lockdown level 4, level 3, level 2 and now here we are together in level 1. Thank you. So today for me began with a crash and a smash and as I headed downstairs I saw that some of the beautiful figurines that belonged to my amazing creative late grandmother Shirley Mackenzie had been smashed to smithereens by my beautiful kittens Poirot and Hastings. And in particular one of a Japanese empress who I have always identified with and I unbound her top knotted hair and let it flow wildly for the last few years and she's always been a favourite of mine. She was all smashed on the ground but thankfully a slither of her face remained unbroken and I was able to reclaim it and place it upon a beautiful shrine which I've made in our entranceway which the centrepiece features calligraphy by my beautiful late grandmother saying endorphins in gold ink. So the Empress's face was placed here and I was able to venture off to my beloved workplace, Orokanoi Eco Sanctuary, with a sense that even as things are broken, things that we love are smashed, even as these forms dissolve, their component parts are able to be reformed into new creation and the sadness that we feel in the same way for their loss and their dissolution may be transformed into a sense of the new possibilities and the love that still remain. So today was a very exciting day at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary, the last day of the New Zealand International Science Festival. And I had lots and lots of fun 
sharing my love for the real world, the living world, the natural world that gives us life and of which we are a part. With my dear friend Samuel Purdy, who has lots of enthusiasm and knowledge for all our beautiful native invertebrates and reptiles and amphibians. And I really had a very strong sense today of the wonderful unity and the wonderful perfection of which all our lives contribute to constantly. A sense of all the lives that are being lived simultaneously. Each unique and perfect and incomparable. They cannot be compared to each other. And I had a wonderful time today reenacting what I feel has been enacted over and over again and is being enacted over and over again by all life which is this process of cycling and recycling what is around us externally we are able to take within transform and bring out again externally in a new form in a new configuration and of course all life is doing this and as a species of animal we can do this with information we are doing this genetically We are doing this with all of the collective knowledge and life and contributions that life has made as we go about our lives each day. And the real sense of oneness that I felt struck by today was so gloriously juxtaposed by this beautiful coda that I managed to find in the pond, really enjoying nipping me and the sense that Of course, within this oneness, there's always learning. And so, just like I learned that I need to handle the freshwater crayfish in a way that is more supportive to them, I also learned that I need to kitten-proof my beautiful lounge and reorganize my figurines so they're out of paws reach. So I hope that for all of you, you're really enjoying this movement between that constant flux and reconfiguration and that sense of oneness and peace. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. So your other hat, the City Council, how's that going? That's really challenging because I'm a first-time, first-term city councillor and, and I'd worked at council for seven years, so I thought, oh, yeah, I knew this stuff. But it's been the steepest learning curve. And, I, you know, the reading's, like, so thick. And there's the reading, and then there's the comprehension, and then there's the decision-making, and then there's all the decision-making that's gone before, and the circ- understanding the circumstances that are around that. So it's really actually incredibly challenging. And then there's the people around it, which is, you know, an election process, so that's challenging as well. Uh, and it's a political environment, which is challenging for me, because coming from an entrepreneurial business background, I'm like, this is logical. Let's do this. Common sense. Hmm. So, did meetings carry on? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We had lots of Zoom meetings, and um, and they were live streamed, and it was so fantastic to see so many people watching on the live stream. Because in the past, you know, hardly anyone turns up to meetings, and I'm such a huge believer that people should be watching their politicians so they voted for an action because how can you then do a proper vote if you don't understand because anybody can get up and say anything during the election process and that's pretty much what happened but the actual reality of what you're dealing with is a whole lot more complex and I think that it's um, really important that people engage with the process and before I worked at council I'm just like oh they're those so-and-sos who 
give you parking tickets and um, you have to pay rates and you have no choice and yuck. Um, but when I went to work there, I found all these amazing people who were just dedicated to their jobs and they're not going to work to annoy everybody every day. They're there to do something good. And I think that, um, why did I Why did I get into politics? It's a crazy thing. I guess that I thought there's not enough female representation um, <laughs> and somebody should be brave enough to do it. And it's not, it's not fun, I must say. <laughs> It's challenging and it's difficult, but um, I'll tell you if I'm glad that I've done it sometime in the future. <laughs> Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hi there, bubble people. How's it going? Hope you're having a fabulous kind of day. Um, and enjoying whatever life is bringing you and that's again about you know how we choose to interact with things and how we choose to see the world so I've been talking a little bit about this over the last few conversations but I've also been having real life conversations about this and um, just talking about how you know putting a smile on your face is that whole action of I guess kind of giving your brain the signal that this is actually the way that um, you want to operate. So you put the physical action in and the energy that's required to put a smile out into the world. And even if things are a little bit, um, you know, not not feeling that positive, if you put a smile on your face, um, it's amazing how quite quickly it's almost like that energy from the smile triggers the rest of your body into thinking actually things aren't quite as bad as I thought they were. So yeah not that I'm an advocate of people saying hey cheer up when you're actually feeling pretty miserable or hey why don't you smile when you're feeling a bit grumpy. Um, I think it's important to feel what you feel obviously but I also think in terms of the way that we choose to interact and see the world, we can sometimes put effort in to create that space that allows for positive action um, when maybe all it requires is a little bit of energy to push ourselves into a better place for, for actually receiving good things from people as well because once you start smiling, other people start smiling back which is um, often what we're looking for in life anyway, good positive interaction with others. So. I was thinking along the lines of, you know, these positive interactions and I was thinking about um, sort of love as a concept because I think we've got a funny sort of view of love in our uh, Western kind of society. I think we, we have this sort of romantic idea of love being sort of a, um, a cure-all for everything, which, you know, I think in many ways love can do, but there's this idealized version of love, two people fall in love and um, suddenly your world is better and things are going right when before they were wrong and um, you are complete in some form or another. <laughs> and I think love is, it can do these, these things obviously, but um, we, we also forget about the fact that love is a much broader concept than this and I'm just tying this back into the idea of smiling at people. Smiling is a way of showing love. It's a it's a sort of a it's a positive energy that that radiates out from you and if it's if it's genuine, even if you're faking it a bit to start with, but it's funny how smiling does become quite genuine once you start to once you start to do it. It becomes an action that your your body almost like embraces. So 
when you smile at someone, they usually smile back. And there's something in that tiny action that is equatable with love. It's this feeling of giving something out that you are giving for free. And in many ways, we're not expecting anything back, but it triggers actually exactly what we need to come back. It often triggers that smile from someone else. And again, it's a demonstration of how love in its broader sort of form is something that actually fuels our sort of positive thinking and our and the energy that um, makes human beings better people I think so while we might have this sort of Hollywood version of love as a kind of a falling in love and it's a romantic love and it's a it's a completing of yourself etc and it like I said can offer all of those things and it is that too in many ways but I think it's a really narrow sort of definition of love and it's and it's much bigger than that. If we can find ways to just love in the form of a smile, it might sound a little crazy, but it's a it's a wonderful sort of starting point for actually showing compassion and care for human beings that you don't even know. And I think that's what our world is needing right now. And as we are finding our way in this world where we are particularly lucky in New Zealand that we can still interact with each other and we are interacting with each other. Um, finding ways to express this that are helpful um, and how we sort of navigate some of the challenges that are coming with, with being in this sort of COVID world, um, I think a smile can go a long way. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate for love as a smile. Let's do it. So try that out. I know I keep trying to say smile um, as my kind of leaving offering, but um, I'm a big fan. So let me know how that goes and hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. Wearing both of those hats, you must have been able to see how the community has pulled together. Yes, and I think that was one of the the beautiful things to see was that, that, that background knowledge of what was going on. A lot of people just have a, a small lens on the world and they're busy trying to cope with their own stuff. But I think that I could see it from both sides and especially from the business side and then being able to convey that to the other counsellors, you know, people are hurting and this is... This. And I think that we... I think that Zoom was really challenging is that you... you appearing to each other on a video screen, but you're not necessarily really communicating. You're putting a face on, but um, there was a lot of devastation for a lot of people going on. And, and my family, as you know, is Lanark Castle. So there was, there was another one in the tourism industry that was completely devastated. So I was dealing with looking after my mother while that was going on. Um, and that was quite challenging. And I think that that connection between what's happening on the coalface and then what's happening in the on the political sphere or the trying to help sphere was very useful because we did have I think weekly or two weekly meetings with our local MPs and that was really useful as well to be able to say well actually this is happening have you thought about x or y um and that, that keeping in contact was really important as well it's interesting how by removing the the constraints of being able to actually talk to each other face to face though it meant that people had to think differently and come up with new ways of communicating and yes there were limitations on things like you know how do you convey emotion during zoom but there was a lot of invention and new ideas did you see some of those oh absolutely we worked very hard we had a different 
different teams working on how we were going to turn the business around. So there were 10 ideas that we, we started off with probably 80 ideas, which then went down to about 10 ideas and put different teams on them, which then communicated via Zoom, et cetera, um, to try and wriggle around ways and to try and think differently about, you know, would, our, would we do, be doing virtual tourism? And if we were to do that, how would that look? Um, I think that was great for the innovative challenging, but I, I, it was concerned and I still kind of am concerned about people's emotional connections, about that you're appearing on video, that you're, there's a, you know, we, you're not connecting emotionally. And I wonder whether we see so much of that nasty stuff on social media. The interesting, I don't know how you can measure if it got nasty or people lost a little bit of compassion during that time. It's a curious question. I don't know if I've got the answer for that. So when you narrowed your 80 ideas down to 10 ideas, what are you running with? Um, we kept our core product because we believe that in a couple of years, hopefully, we'll get some international tourism back. Um, so we kept that. And then we went for the mates rates deal. So this was getting locals in um, at half price and cutting the tour time shorter because it was through our research that we discovered they wanted that. And then we went for a higher price product for a fit with 55 minutes in the observatory so we kind of went low we went high we concentrated more on the give a little and we were going to do an ambassador program as well but part of the challenge is of course that um resource wise staff wise there's only so much that you can actually (laughs) achieve so you had to get really really focused i'm like we're going to be opening in a week or two what are we going to be offering because we have to get out there with the offering and promote it so it was actually quite challenging and there was all sorts of things going on with um the virtual tourism so we researched that and that looked like fun there was one what they're doing they were making drag decories and drag or something like that a couple of drag queens somewhere in south america and i was like actually i would pay 38 dollars <laughs> i didn't but i, I nearly did <laughs> so there was some interesting thoughts um around those things and we're getting some advice the government put some money into um help us get some strategic advice as well because you don't want to damage your long-term prospects for your short-term money-making things. So it's it's gritted teeth and hanging on at the moment. Let's take Ian Anderson, A Raft of Penguins.
world's no stage for the faint at heart Each symphony a sum of parts Each overture a sweet foreplay Let's crash and burn some other day Suspicion deep, tentative tiptoe or giant leap. Call down the angels to guide them in. A raft of penguins take to the wing. A raft of penguins on a frozen sea. Expectant faces look down on me. Shuffle and easy, pull a whistle of blaze. Counting eleven, they begin to pray. So of all of the societal changes we've seen in the last few months, what do you think will stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I think the message, be kind. I really hope that was one that will stick and everybody looking out for each other. There's been some good things and some bad things that have come out of this. I mean, I'm avoiding online a lot more than I used to because some of that is toxic. But I think that that be kind message is one that's really stuck through and I constantly say to my teenager... (laughs) is that kind and more of an awareness of, of that. Um, yeah, and, and I guess the realisation that it can just take one cataclysm to destroy our way of life and it's not completely destroyed, but I think that maybe it's made us more aware and hopefully of climate change, et cetera, because that's that, that's that slow-boiling frog. We can understand a pandemic, but can we understand the actual bigger threat which faces us as a species? So that might be interesting to think about as well. What do you think we might learn from how we've responded for those slow-boiling things of climate change or ecosystem collapse or or social justice, those sorts of longer intergenerational even questions? Imagine if we just decided to respond to those as we've responded to the pandemic. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because we just struggle with making change. You know, if you do all the reading, if you research, and uh, it is scary what's happening, and you just like, man, we are playing the violins while Rome burns. Just wouldn't it be amazing if we responded to climate change? Because we could see a pandemic and we could imagine everyone getting sick and there was people close to us. And the future is so far away sometimes, I think, that we're not mentally involved with it. Quite a challenging thought process, I guess. I wonder what we would have to do. Put up a big sign that says climate change starts next Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah. It's really hard because people see the images of what's happening in, in different countries and hear it, but I guess that comprehension and the fact that probably it doesn't immediately affect them in such a way, 
you know, species disappearing. Oh, yep, they've always been disappearing. Um, places getting flooded, worse weather. It's like, what does it have to take for people to actually comprehend it? And it is incomprehensible. And then I guess that you feel that what can I as one person do against something like this? You know, I might recycle my bags or try not to buy too much stuff with plastic in or buy an electric car. But really, what difference am I making when there's a whole lot huger, bigger issues, both governmental and um, you know, multinational, etc. It's quite challenging, isn't it? What does a better world look like for you? Oh, first of all, I guess a kind of <laughs> I guess that we, we consume less because I think that we've turned into this society where we consume all of the time and we don't necessarily think about the consequences. It's like is buy, buy, buy. And and I was horrified one time when I was hearing about oh what was going to fix the economy and it's like, Oh, we need the American consumer to buy more, you know, to go to the mall and shop and I just I felt so sad. One of the things that we do is we do beach cleanups at the Penguin, and we're picking up kilos of rubbish every week, you know, and you're just like, how are we as a people going to change? Um, And, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you can see why teenagers get those senses of hopelessness because it is, sometimes it feels a bit hopeless. So how do you maintain a sense of a positive, thriving future, say, for those teenagers? Mm, that is a very challenging one. I guess that what I would love for us all to do is to have that shared vision and to, to, to draw that picture. I think a lot of the, the challenges that we have, I'm just talking, I guess, from a local government point of view, is is our shared vision isn't exciting and isn't understandable and, and how to get there. We've got a, a 2030 carbon zero, but we still don't have a, have a plan to get there. And what does that future look like? It's um, I think that... Answer is a really good shared vision, and maybe we can start in Dunedin and be a um, uh, uh, a good example for everyone. Do you think we need to convince everybody, or do we just get on and do it? Oh, I think you have to get on and do it because some people are never going to be persuaded. <laughs> you know, I think that you just have to, like I said before, make your plan, <laughs> do your plan, um, like we like I used to do back in private business. This is a bigger thing because obviously it involves the public, but um, yeah, just have to get cracking. You know, there's enough sitting around and counting things and talking about that kind of stuff, but sometimes you actually have to do it and get out there and hopefully get some more activism going and um, and demonstrate. So, you know, local government is a is a slow, clunky thing often, but it would be amazing if we as a city could um, forge forward. There's a big potential for slowing tourism down not in terms of the well i suppose in terms of the the, the numbers less people but them staying longer and things oh, like if we're, when we get yeah. the cycleway loop completed that's people staying for an extra day yeah we've been as the tourism industry or someone in heritage and conservation background we've been talking about that forever to the tourism industry one of the challenges is it's the airlines bringing people in and we just have to accept them because it's a real was a real thumbs on seats mentality and I often say we should just pick a number in Dunedin that we want <laughs> let's go for that number and stick with that number because we don't want our beaches overrun and our yellow-eyed pens chased around we need to be very careful and very sustainable in what we're doing and making sure that the money that tourism makes is going back into our community um, I think that so much of it is run by those bigger businesses you know I think we do need to rethink it and I hope we can because a lot of people have said that one of the the good outcomes from a New Zealand perspective has been that that 
moment of saying, actually, for a few months, we're not having any tourists and let's all breathe. But from your yeah. perspective, we need it to come back in some form. Yes, and I think we need to, to build that story and that picture because, you know, I grew up in tourism. I've spent all my life in tourism, but I do accept absolutely that there are bad impacts on our environment and on our communities. And it's like, well, this is the place. While we're taking a breather to actually work hard to think about when the borders are open, what does it look like? How many visitors do we want? What is our number? It's this. It's been horrifying, really, that it's just like more, more, more. We just like no more is not necessarily better. <laughs> you know, you don't want to eat a whole lot of pudding. You want to make sure that you. Got, I shouldn't be comparing tourism to pudding, but you know, <laughs> you're just looking quality, quality pudding. That's good for everybody. Nutritious, you know. <laughs> that was pretty bad, but you know, we are going to have I mean. when we play out. We are going to have to play out to Marcus Turner's the chocolate song. <laughs> I approve of it totally. <laughs> so, some questions to end with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? For me personally? Anything you like. Mm, gosh. I guess the most surprising success was um, getting voted in as a councillor. I didn't expect that. It was my first first time doing it, and I was amazed that as a non-sitting councillor with a tiny budget and not affiliated to any party, that I got reasonably good number of votes so that was a big surprise and and I guess a a growing achievement for me and hopefully I'll be able to turn it and make it into something good so we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you're on our team what's the superpower that got you into our mansion oh my gosh um oh (laughs) that's a tough question I guess I like to think that I'm good at communication and very committed to whatever I do. I'm an extremely hard worker um, in communicating. Because from a marketer, it's like being a translator from very complex things. Like people like to talk in multi-syllabic words. And I like to talk quite simply and, and hopefully talk about that vision that we have and um, use those channels. Communicator, that's a real great superpower, isn't it? <laughs> But it's a real superpower. That's the, the point we're trying to make, is that these things that people describe are things that everybody has. It's not invisibility. It's not flying. Mm. Um, so, and you can work on them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? I wish that I were more of an activist. I mean, I'm ashamed of how little I, um, I can actually get out there. I, I'm a solo parent as well as being a counsellor on one hand and a marketer on the other hand. I have a lot of obligations and I wish I could be out there protesting and making a difference. And I hope that it, in council that I'm able to make a difference at that governance level. And I think that when you look at where decisions are made, it's important to start being in the room. Um, and that's, that's step one. And at the moment I'm learning. It's a steep learning curve, as I said. And um, I guess the thing that I'll appreciate is other people helping me and other people telling me what they think. Uh, and sharing ways forward because I'm you know not the brightest person in the room but I do want to be there and be able to represent do a good job so what motivates you my daughter my, I've got a 17 year old teenager you know and when you have people that you care about growing up in this world and facing an uncertain future it is absolutely imperative that you do the best you can to make the world a better place it's as simple as that you know how could I look her in the eye and not go I tried to make change I tried to be a good role model for you um you know i showed you that that females can get and can can do these things um you know 
children need a better future and need to look forward to that with a positive way. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh, gosh. Um, getting my act together around council. We've got, we're going into the long-term plan, which is the 10-year budgetary process, and I need to really get on top of this because this is when we're making decisions for, I guess, the, the next 10 years. Getting my act together, learning fast, and being able to make positive contributions to change because my partner, who's also a councillor, was saying that your first three years learning, and then the next three years you can start impacting. And I'm like, I need to move faster than that. Um, so that's that's really challenging, juggling. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I think I used the Nike advice, just do it. Um, and my other thing that I recite all the time to myself, especially in scary council meetings, is be who you are and just appreciate that you bring skills to the table. You were talking before about superpowers, and I think that I used to talk about everybody having a piece of the jigsaw, and I say everybody has a piece of the Meccano set, and someone, they might be the quietest person in the room, will often have the important bolt that bolts everything together. So you do need to, um, sorry, contribute all that you can. Be brave. Be brave as well. Thank you very much. Mawira. So, B, thank you for being um, such a good role model and for actually modelling commitment to real and enduring change. I appreciate that about you um, because we need more people like you in our world doing just that. That's how we make things right. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. We'll play out to Marcus Turner's chocolate song. When you're tired and depressed or feeling lonely When your checkbook's in the red and you are blue When you've left the freezer open Or your rubber band is broken Or you've dropped the toilet paper down the loo If you feel a sudden urge to wash the steak knives Or to sniff at the exhaust pipe of your car Or to farewell those you love And take a nap inside the oven Stop! Salvation's just a suck from where you are Feeling down, the best way up is chocolate It's the answer that will get you through the day Let me get my teeth around Something small and square and brown And I'll masticate until I feel okay Now when God had finished making all the heavens valleys and the mountains and the seas and the weather and the weasels and the squid and German measles and the gherkins and Hong Kong and all the fleas on the seventh day as he was sitting resting he was feeling in a very chipper mood there came one more inspiration For one last divine creation Something fit to please a god And could be chewed When you're feeling down The best way up is chocolate It's the answer that will get you through the day Let me get my teeth around Something small and square and brown And I'll masticate until I feel okay 
bar of chocolate lying idle It always seems to find its way inside my jaws It's a shame to mess about Cause it tastes better in than out And it's going to a very worthy cause And although it won't endear me to my dentist And my doctor will be worried for my health And it's given me a skinful of enormous oily pimples I'm still feeling very good about myself When you're feeling down the best way up is chocolate It's the answer that will get you through the day Let me get my teeth around something small and square and brown And I'll masticate until I feel okay Just remember, if it's chocolate, you can eat it. Chocolate eggs and chocolate fish and chocolate chips. Chocolate bears and mice and frogs. Chocolate cakes and moose and logs. Let a chocolate bomb explode across your lips. Some is crunchy and is filled with hokey-pokey. Some is thrown about by cowboys and is white. There's a whole world out there waiting Don't just sit there salivating Pull your socks up, chocks away And bite, bite, bite When you're feeling down The best way up is chocolate It's the answer that will get you through the day Let me get my teeth around Something small and square and brown And I'll masticate until I feel okay Eating chocolate And it's tastier than sex And much more fun Keep your pills and dope and glue And your gin and whiskey too Cause there's no buzz Like a chocolate buzz bar none If you really, really love me Give me chocolate Give me chocolate Till it's coming out my ears All I crave is just enough So I can indolently stuff myself for years and years and years and years and years When you're feeling down, the best way up is chocolate It's the answer that will get you through the day Let me get my teeth around, something small and square and brown And I'll masticate until I feel okay I'll masticate my miseries away. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani, and the Otago Peninsula Trust's Sophie Barker. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.